Well, let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. Turn in your Bible to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. And listen carefully as I read God's Word. Nehemiah, beginning at chapter 8, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashum, Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, there are some things in this world that are both dangerous and delightful at the same time. Both dangerous and delightful at the same time. This afternoon, I'm going to be performing a wedding. I don't know if Brian and Joanna are here this morning, but they're a couple of members of our church, and I'm going to be performing their wedding up in the villages. And I'm going to be dressed in my nice suit with a pulpit robe on. They're going to have their finest clothes on. The sanctuary is going to be filled with beautiful flowers. The sanctuary will be full of well-dressed, wonderful, nice, kind, loving people. Um, And I'm going to be looking into the faces of Brian and Joanna. And you know what I want to say to them? You know what I want to say to them in that wedding? I want to say, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Do you really want to do this? You know, there's still time to back out if you want to. 
But, of course, I'm not going to say that. And don't you dare tell them that I would want to say that because this will be a great day for Brian and Joanna. But what I mean when I say that that's what I would kind of like to tell this couple is that you who have been married a while, I who have been married a while, know that marriage is both dangerous and delightful. It can bless, but it can also tear us apart. It can heal, but it can also kill. It can create peace, but it can also create war. And in fact, isn't that what we say in the marriage vows that pastors ask couples when they get married? In plenty and in want. In joy and in sorrow. In sickness and in health. As long as you both shall live. See, marriage is one of those things in life that is both dangerous and delightful. Later on this morning, we're going to be ordaining and installing some new elders and deacons. When I think about a calling that is both dangerous and delightful at the same time, I think of being a church officer. Or take Christian community as another example. Many of you are in community. You have a life group. You have friends. You have faithful partners in your journey with Christ. And you know that when you risk being known by another group of human beings, that is dangerous. It can be offensive to you who are in community. Because friends get in your face. They see through your disguises, don't they? They call you to account. They call you to be true to your deepest heart. And that's disruptive. But community is also very, very sweet too. Psalm 133 compares authentic Christian community to precious oil being poured on the head. Or the dew of Mount Hermon falling upon Mount Zion. It's both dangerous and it's delightful. Well, when we come to God's Word, the Bible, and when I mention God's Word, I'm talking about His book, the book He has given us, the 66 books of the Bible. When we come to the Bible, the Word of God, we find out that it too is both dangerous and delightful. The Word of God can tear you apart, but it can also heal you and put you back together again. It can break you, but it can also bless you. It can kill, but it also can bring to life. And the thing is, you wouldn't want it any other way. We've been in a series of studies in recent weeks on the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, from which I read a little while ago. This series I've called Rise Up and Build. It's simply a phrase taken from the book itself. And here we are today in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah, you might remember if you've been with us, was the governor of Judah in that time, in the mid-5th century B.C. He has led the rebuilding of the wall around the city of Jerusalem. This wall that had laid in ruins for about 150 years was now repaired and rebuilt in a mere 52 days. He has also faced down opposition both within the city of Jerusalem as We've heard last week from Timothy Price's sermon, as well as opposition from without the city of Jerusalem. And when you get here to the end of chapter 7, you can almost hear a collective sigh of relief among the people of God. Because it says there at the end that the Israelites had settled in their towns 
But when we open chapter 8, Aslan is on the move. God is going to stir things up because he gives his word to his people and it's both dangerous and it's delightful. So let's join together and look first at the fact that God's word is dangerous. God's word is dangerous. When we open up to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, it's daybreak on the first day of the seventh month on the Jewish calendar. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, but what it was to them was a very, very special day. It was in late September, early October, a little bit beyond where we are today. This was the day that the Feast of Trumpets was celebrated in Israel. The Feast of Trumpets, first day of the seventh month. And today you might know it better as Rosh Hashanah. So... Um, it marked the end of the harvest season for the people of Jerusalem, as well as the, big, the beginning of a brand new year. Jews from all over Judea assembled, it says there in verse 1, as one man right there in the square before the water gate. But this was no ordinary feast of trumpets, as you could tell from my reading. Verse 1 goes on to say that they told Ezra the scribe, Now stop right there. That's the first time you've seen the name Ezra in the book of Nehemiah. Ezra, the same man for whom the book before Nehemiah was named, was a scribe and a priest and a teacher of the law. We would call Ezra a scholar. He was a scholar. So verse 1 says that Ezra the scribe brought out the book of the law of Moses. Ezra stood up on this high wooden platform that had been erected for the occasion, and 13 other priests stood up there on this platform around Ezra, six on one side and seven on the other. And for the next five to six hours, people, Ezra read from the scriptures that you and I today call the Old Testament. He read from the book of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. You think I preach long sermons. Look, I never want to hear another complaint about my 30 to 35 minute sermons. Ezra read from the Bible for five to six hours. I don't think that he read the entire Pentateuch. He most certainly would have read the book of Deuteronomy and perhaps parts of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. But Picture this scene. You've seen something like it on TV many times. The city square was absolutely jammed with people. Hundreds, thousands of Jewish men, women, and children. They were all standing there, and it looked like London on the day that William and Kate got married or something like that. And verse 3 says that they all listened attentively to the book of the law. At first, all the people were standing just like Ezra was. And when Ezra said, praise the Lord, everybody, you know, in shouting out, amen, amen. It sounded like a Baptist church of all things. And then as the book of the law was read, it goes on to say in verse 6 that the people bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground a sign of their respect for and love of the Word of God. They bowed down prostrate on the ground as they were listening to the Word of God read. And then verses 7 and 8 tell us something very interesting. There were other priests and other Levites who were in the crowd 
mingling among the people, helping them to understand what they had heard from Ezra's lips. Now, I don't know exactly how this worked. We have to use a little sanctified imagination. I guess Ezra would read for a few minutes and stop. And then these other 13 Levites who were out there in the in the crowd would walk over and say, come, gather around. And they would gather some families and make a little circle around them. And they would explain the meaning of what Ezra had been reading. It's like a little Bible study. It's like, um, it's like a Jewish ancient version of a life group. There they were, out in the city square, discussing the Bible together, discussing the, the scriptures that Ezra had read The point is, as verse 8 says, these guys read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. So what are we looking at here? Here's Bible teaching. That's what it is. That's what happens in here on Sunday morning. Someone gets up and reads the scriptures and then I or one of the other pastors stands up and explains the meaning of what you've just heard. It's called expository preaching. And those of you who teach Sunday school and those of you who lead Bible studies during the week, you're doing the same exact thing, teaching God's word. It's one of the most important aspects of church life. And do you understand that it's also part of the great commission that Jesus has left us here as his church He said to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatever I've commanded you. One of our priorities here at this church is biblical and theological literacy, and we take that seriously. That's why much care and attention is given to the teaching of God's Word in Sunday school classes and Bible studies throughout the week. But notice what happened as Ezra read the law of God. Here's where we really get to the heart of what I wanted to talk about today. As Ezra read the law of God and as these Levites expounded upon it or explained it, the people of God started crying. They started crying. Look at verse 9. It says there, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now, why were they weeping? They were weeping because the word of God had exposed their sins brought their shortcomings up to the surface, to their consciousness, to their heart's attention. The Levites, it says in verse 11, had to calm people. They had to go around calming all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred or a holy day. Do not grieve. Why were the people grieving? Well, they were grieving because God, through his word, was confronting them about their failures. They responded, you see, with tears of sorrow. It would be similar to what you would do if you go to the doctor after some tests had been done on you. And the doctor looked at you with alarm and said, sir or madam, you have cancer. You would react to that because a problem had been brought to the surface. Or it's like what you would do if 
your very best friend called you to meet with him or with her and said to you, brother, sister, what you did to me really offended me. It hurt me deeply. You would grieve over what you had done, wouldn't you? It's like a death. You would weep over your and your friend's pain. This is what I mean, you see, when I say that the Word of God is dangerous. Hebrews 4.12 says it's like a sword, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intents and the motives of the heart. That's the function of the Word of God. Don't you know that's going to hurt? Don't you know that's going to create pain and dissonance in your soul? I got a splinter in my finger the other day and it just about killed me. We're talking about a sword piercing your heart. Friends, the Bible is not a safe book. It's like God. It's good, but it's not safe. The Bible is not chicken soup. It's a dagger. And we must listen to it that way. You might have seen that movie, The Hurt Locker, one of my favorite ever films. It's a film about these guys over in Iraq and Afghanistan who go around finding IEDs, these roadside bombs that are hidden by the side of the road that are ready to explode. They find them and then they disarm them. What a dangerous calling. My goodness. But so is Bible reading. See, when you pick up your Bible and you open it and you read it, you're picking up an IED. You're allowing God to put His finger on an area of your life and blow it up. You are, to use an illustration from a different Narnia book, you are are inviting God to undragon you, to let His claws dig deeply into your heart and into that old fleshy nature of yours and start ripping it off and peeling off layer after layer after layer to bring you a measure of humility and repentance. And that hurts. It wounds. It kills Do you know why it kills? Because when you read the Bible, you're not just reading an ordinary book. You're listening to the very voice of God. He is speaking through the pages of Scripture. See, these Jews in Nehemiah chapter 8 knew that they weren't just listening to Ezra the priest. They were listening to the voice of God speaking through the book of the law. By His Word, the living God was present. So when you become aware as you read the Bible that God is speaking to you and saying, Child of mine, I want you to believe this. Or child of mine, I want you to stop living for yourself and stop being deceitful. Stop lusting. Stop murdering people in your heart. Or child of God, I want you to obey me here and here and here. If you know yourself well at all, you're going to react. You're going to react. You're going to feel pain and discomfort. You might even get angry. You might scream and yell and throw things. But one thing you will not be is indifferent. You cannot really listen to God's voice and say, whatever, 
If that's your reaction to the Word of God, you're not really hearing it. You may be checking off a a box in your daily routine, but you're not listening, hearing God speaking to you. One thing you cannot do when you hear the Word of God is be indifferent. God's Word won't let you be indifferent. It offends That's one of its functions. It's like a mirror. It reveals the truth about yourself, that you often have a very cold heart, that you often have no intention of obeying God's law, that you often are like the prodigal son, seeking joy and life and meaning and purpose away from the father instead of with the father. And the Bible says you need to change. It's asking us to repent to turn around and go the other way and come back home. And look, isn't this what we would expect from a book written by the God of heaven and earth? Do we want a bland, insipid book that asks nothing of us? Do we want a God like that? Do we want a God who doesn't move us out of our comfort zone? Of course not. If God is God, he has every right and every reason to push us and prod us and convict us and Show us where we're on the wrong path. Well, this is why the people of Jerusalem were weeping on Rosh Hashanah. They heard the voice of God and they knew they had run away from home. They knew that they had been neglectful of God's commands and forgetful of His mercies. They knew that they had been unfaithful to the one who had redeemed them and freed them from their exile in Babylon. God's Word is dangerous. But here's the good news. Because the same word of God that is dangerous is also very, very delightful. God's word is delightful too. Look at verse 10. You must see this. You know we don't here at UPC leave people without the gospel. So I want you to get the gospel. Look at verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Now let's pause right there because that phrase choice foods, literally the Hebrew word there, is to be fat. What Nehemiah is really saying to the Jews is go get fat. Go to Mellow Mushroom and pick out the richest pizza you want and enjoy it. Go to Four Rivers and buy a lot of pounds of barbecue. Bring it home. Share it with your family. Share it with your neighbors. Tell the whole neighborhood you've got it. That's what Nehemiah is telling them. Go and enjoy choice fatty foods. Don't think about Weight Watchers. Don't think about your diet today. Go drink some sweet drinks too. And I guess we know what that is. Go enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing. Why? Because this day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then verse 12, all the people go away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and celebrate with great joy, because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. They understood the word of God and it created delight. It brought healing upon their wounds. It brought grace into their pain and said, go and enjoy some good stuff. 
Now, how could this be, friends? How could this be? How could this same God who had spoken words of conviction be the God who speaks words of comfort? How could God... Here's here's the deeper question. How could God let guilty people, people who had failed to obey the commandments, people who had neglected to follow the law of God, how could God let them off the hook? And not only let them off the hook... But tell them, go be happy. Stop crying. Go be happy and eat some stuff that's bad for you. How could God do that? Well, if you know the good news of Jesus Christ, you know the answer to that question. Because once again here, we see Nehemiah pointing us away from Nehemiah toward Christ. The Messiah who was to come in a few centuries. Nehemiah points us to Christ because God is announcing here in that verse, verse 10 through 12, that God lets guilty people go free. How could he let guilty people go free? It's because, you know, on the cross, someone who was guiltless traded places with the guilty. Jesus Christ nailed to the cross, guiltless, took upon himself your sin and mine and traded for that his righteousness to all who believe in him. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or as Isaiah the prophet would put it at the, in the Old Testament, we all like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his or her own way and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. In other words, God says here in Nehemiah 8, to the prodigal sons and to the prodigal daughters, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on her finger and sandals on her feet because I want you to kill the fatted calf and I want you to throw a feast. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate because he or she who was away from me has now come home. That's the gospel in Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, how does this work exactly on a daily basis? This lesson that I'm trying to teach about how the Word of God is dangerous on the one hand, but it's also delightful. Well, let me use a little chart, and it might help a little bit. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. We pick up the Bible, and we read, let's say, a command, a part of the law that says... Do not bear false witness. Okay? Do not bear false witness. It's like a mirror. It's showing us that we are not always truthful. We are sometimes deceitful. We don't conform to the expectations of the law of God at many times. Now, at this point, we have a choice. I could despair of God's mercy and grace. That's almost what we saw the Jews doing in Nehemiah 8. Weeping, grieving, seeing no hope. We could go that way or we could say, wait a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about Jesus. And so we think about the cross. When the loss shows us ourselves, we, by faith, run to the cross of Christ. And we remember, oh, wait, because of Jesus, I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. I am actually delighted in by my Father. And by seeing Jesus Remembering him on the cross by clinging to what he has done, by remembering that he obeyed the law for me perfectly and took my place on the cross, then I can go and repent 
back to the Father. And these things really happen all at the same time. Repentance. Over there on the left, we remember that God is our Father, our Shepherd, our Friend, our Savior, and our Redeemer. See, these are the things we do because of God's Word. It's dangerous in that it awakens our awareness of our sin, but it's also delightful because it drives me to the cross. And the result is joyful obedience. It's because I know I've been freed. I can now obey without having to earn God's love. So look at this. This is what this really says. Go to the next slide. The law drives me to the gospel, and the gospel frees me to obey the law. It's not that God pitches the law out. No. The law is very much a part of our lives. But we are able to obey it because we've been freed from its condemnation. And not only that, it doesn't stop there. It goes on and I share my joy with other people. I share the joy that I have with other people. And that's exactly what we see happening in the rest of Nehemiah chapter 8. You can go home and read that on your own this afternoon. But what happens is in the rest of the chapter... The Word of God drives the people of Jerusalem to faith and obedience. They obey the Word of God and then they share the joy with other people. All because of the dangerous and delightful Word of God. Friends, do you understand what a treasure the Word of God is, the Bible? Do you you get that? Do you understand what a gift it is? And this is the result of it. A life of joyful obedience free of condemnation, free of guilt, because the Word of God has given you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to take a moment and show you a short video that you will be absolutely blown away by, at least if if the same effect it has on you was what it had on me. It's a video showing the reception of the Word of God in a culture in Indonesia. These people had never had a New Testament in their own language. Watch it and I think you'll get the drift. Darana nyundi yuda adna gigip memero. Darana memero kum. Poka yognamna nyundi gerenti omuladlam ziyang wenena. Memero puku wenena op kemelama. Do wenena anzi anyak lemla boga nyundabi elulama. Puk memero kum ni omuladlam ziyang wenena. Omwi nyundabi ketsepo. Seni lima po. Sumni di wenena nyundi yumunisin. Mati yutsampe wahyu. Yeah. <laughs> 
I wish I could show you the rest of that little video. It's so, so sweet. Sweeter than honey. More valuable than gold. Is the book of God. May it take root in your heart and in mine. May we be Bible readers, students of this book that is dangerous and delightful. Will you commit yourself to it again? Will you be a Bible reader? There are so many ways to read the Bible. It is not a burden. If you need ideas, I, the pastors, the elders, the deacons would love to help you know how to do it. But let's make today a new start, a new day. Let's be Bible readers because of the treasure that this book is. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that you loved us so much that not only did you give us your son Jesus, but you wanted us to know what you thought. You wanted us to know your mind and your heart. And you gave us a book. You gave us love letters. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful gift that is both disruptive and also healing. Lord, may we experience the Bible afresh. May we have a little bit of the joy that the people of Indonesia had that we saw in the video. 
Will you come into UPC and create a culture of great delight in your word? Do that with me, O Lord. Forgive me for sometimes being indifferent toward your book. And we, uh, we look to you in faith. Thank you for the good news that we are your children and that you deeply, deeply love us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.